is um, that Hebrews addresses the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer. Some people call it once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation, that kind of stuff. And, and there's a lot of people, I know there's people in this crowd that either struggle with that or at this point you might not believe it and <clears throat> that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I talk to people who doubt a lot. Uh, a lot of people struggle with doubt with their salvation and doubt with a lot of uh, different things concerning their relationship to the Lord and with the Scripture. And and uh, and so I wanted to look at this, and I'm probably just going to cut my message off when I get to a point where I run out of time this morning because i got so much information today. But we'll pick it up next week if we do. But uh, looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 6, you know, doubt is one of Satan's greatest weapons. And what he, what he uses doubt for is to redirect our thinking. He wants to get our thinking off of what the Scripture teaches. And all of a sudden we find ourselves with human reasoning. You know, and I, let me say this. I absolutely 100% believe all the way through the Bible that we are eternally secure. If you are a born-again believer, okay? That you are eternally secure, that you don't lose your salvation, and very simply proved that this morning uh, amongst uh, several hundred other scriptures. But, um, but if he can if he can redirect our thinking and cause us to dwell on doubt, then he changes the course of our lives. That's the way he attacked Adam and Eve. Remember in the garden, the first thing that he used to come against them was doubt. When he told Eve, when he when when Satan approached Eve, and he said. Has the Lord said that if you take of the tree or or that if you eat of any fruit of the tree uh, in the garden that you will surely die? And he began to sow a seed of questioning uh, in her and started working off a doubt. And all of a sudden he directed her thought process and then he changed the course of their lives, which ultimately changed the course of our lives. And then he also uses it to immobilize believers. Uh, and we'll see this morning as we look at the scripture that, that when you're a believer, if you're constantly struggling with doubt, maybe you doubt your salvation. Let me say this, 99% of people doubt your salvation. You might not want to admit it, but there's a time we all go through once we're saved that, that we question and we sometimes doubt. If you haven't doubted your salvation, that would bother me, really, because the Bible says search yourself and know that you're in the faith. And so... There's going to be times in our lives where we look at the wrong things and then we begin to question, but... But if Satan can keep you in that process of always doubting, whether it's doubting your relationship to God, whether it's doubting the Word of God, doubting the promises of God, then all of a sudden you become immobile because you can't you can't minister to other people, you can't lead other people, teach other people what you yourself are not settled in. And then and also is to get our attention and our efforts on something other than God's purpose for our life. Because if we as Christians doubt that God is in control and that we can trust Him and that His Word is true, or that what we're investing in our lives, and you'll see here in, in this passage that those people were going through suffering and they were going through trials, and all of a sudden you look at your physical conditions, if you begin to doubt the goodness of God, the love of God, uh, the fact that what you're doing is true, then you won't invest your life in it. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself redirecting your life, doing your own things, because you have that doubt in you. So... It's one of the most effective sources uh, that, that, that Satan has for turning people away from Jesus. Because a lot of the questions that I've heard uh, that people deal with, and some of my own questions, and this is not my own question, but just different ones. Number one, is God real? We live in a skeptical society that says, you know, we question whether there is a God. And you got atheism and all of this different stuff going on. Uh, is there really life after death? Is God's word true? Will God save me? 
lot of people, you know, believe, you know, the Bible and then they go through a process and they, you know, don't, don't know if God really will save them. Like he says, is what I'm investing my life in worth it? That's a question that everybody as a believer, you have to believe in your heart because your belief directs your life. If you truly believe the gospel and you believe that God is who he says he is and you believe God's word, there's no way you can believe that without that impacting your life and, and what you invest in and how you live and, and the way that you see things and, and what you're living for. Um, then you got the question of, of what if you're wrong? You know, I've heard it. And it don't work. You know, a lot of a lot of people want to try to convince somebody to say, well, you know what? Uh, if I'm wrong, here's the thing. They say, well, how do you know? Well, well, if I'm wrong, then I didn't lose anything. And I've used that argument before. It's a terrible argument. For, for Christianity. Well, if, I, if, if I'm wrong and I die and there's no life after death and all that kind of stuff, then I didn't lose anything because I love being a Christian. Here's the point. Either you're right or you're wrong. Either heaven is real or it's not. Either God's word is true, but you can't live by entrance going, well, I'm just going to make a profession of faith just in case God is. And if he's not, then I'm okay. Either way, I didn't lose. It don't work that way. You're either all in or you're all out, right? And then um, another one that often I hear is, does God really care? So many times, and every one of us is going to suffer. We're all going to go through trials. We're going to go through struggles. We're going to have troubles. And sometimes as Christians, we, we, the Satan wants to sow that seed of doubt into your mind. You know, you, you, you go through a problem and you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't see no change. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes along and goes, you know what? God really doesn't care about you. He doesn't care that you suffer. He's not a loving God. He's not a God who answers your prayers. He's not a God who can, who can do these things in your life. Because if you really cared, then he would do that. And you have to be careful, okay, and understand. I'm fixing to get to the scripture, case you're wondering. You have to understand this. Number one, that God, the Holy Spirit, does not work through doubt. God doesn't work through doubt. Okay, God works through the Holy Spirit directs us. Anytime Satan sows a seed of doubt in our heart, think about this. Looking at a biblical illustration, when when Satan come along and he tempted Eve and he said, "Did God say she could have went?" You know, I know they didn't have it written, but it was written on their heart at that point in time. She could have said, uh, "Yeah, right here he said it." Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Anytime that Satan sows a seed of doubt in your heart, the Holy Spirit directs us to the Word of God. That's what God does. God, the Holy Spirit, He confirms and He He gives us confidence and points us to trust and to believe the Scripture. You can't go by your feelings. Because our feelings change. Has anybody ever woke up and you didn't feel saved? Okay, You didn't feel like your relationship with God was secure. If I didn't believe in the security of the believer, I'd probably need to be saved again this morning because the week that I had, you know, I woke up some morning and go, I don't even know if I'm saved. Don't You don't feel it. You know what I'm saying? And I am saved. So you're not being preached to by a lost man. Just want you to know that. But the point is, if you go by your emotions and your feelings, because who here does not fall? Who here does not does not do things that are sinful? Who here does not have bad thought process? Who here doesn't lose your temper and say things you all not say? If we want to be honest, not hypocritical, every single one of us struggle and we fight and we wrestle with sin and we fall and sometimes we overcome, but every one of us have that going on. And if you're always looking to yourself going, and here's the, here's the sad thing about people who don't believe in eternal security of the believer. They look to themselves... To perform or to live up to such a way that they hope that they're keeping the faith. 
okay? And that you never really know. You know, I've asked one, so how do you know that if you're saved? Well, if I'm walking with the Lord, then I am. And if I'm not walking with the Lord, then I might not be. Whereas the book of 1 John says, I have written these things. He didn't say, I made you feel a certain way. But he said, I have written these things that you might know that you have possessed, present tense, eternal life. God wants us to either know that we do or know that we don't. And you can't hang there in limbo. There's no such thing as a, as a spiritual limbo. You go, I hope I'm, if you're just hoping you're going to heaven, I hope, man, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm saved. I think I saved. I feel like I'm saved. You, know, you might get indigestion tomorrow and be on your way to hell. I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? If you go by feeling, there's so many people who wrap emotion up into Christianity. And though emotion might be, an aspect of expressing it, emotion has nothing to do with possessing it. Y'all wait. Say, give me some proof. I'd love to. Let's look in the scripture. <clears throat> um, looking in, in Hebrews chapter um, 5. Let's start in, in chapter 5 because I want to show you the source of doubt. Because here's the fact. You are saved by a promise. You're not saved by your good works. You're not saved through anything that you do ceremonially. You're not saved through attending church. You're not saved through trying to be good or overcome your bad. Those things do not save you and you don't keep your salvation that way. If you look at Abraham's life and it uses Abraham through the book of, through the book of Hebrews, Abraham's life was following after the hope that God gave him through a promise. And the Bible says, and Abraham believed God and it was placed on his account for righteousness. God preached, we'll get into this next week. God preached the gospel, personally preached the gospel to Abraham, according to Galatians chapter 3. Abraham heard the gospel that his seed, talking about seed was Christ, would come and be a blessing or the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles throughout the world. And it said, Abraham believed God. He believed the gospel. And at the moment that Abraham believed, it was placed on his account. You are righteous before God. And so believe in the gospel, believe in the promise that you have from the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done to accomplish our salvation is what saves you and produces that hope. Okay. Now look at the sources of doubt. Chapter 5 and verse 12 through 14. We read this last week, so I won't spend a lot of time there. It says that you... No, wait a second, I'm in the wrong chapter. Let me get on chapter 5, verse four, or 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, immaturity. There's a lot of people who are babies in Christ and they wrestle with their, their security as a believer. And they're not sure, you know, sometimes because here's the thing. A lot of people stay immature. And if you don't grow in your faith and you don't grow in, and that's why it's important, you grow in the knowledge of Christ so that you know who he is and what he's accomplished for you in order that you have that peace and that assurance within your heart that God desires for you to have. God is a good father. God doesn't want his kids running around wondering if he's really their daddy or not. He wants you to be secure. I remember when I was a kid, um, when I was a little bitty, and I told some of you this before, that um, I was the only one with a cotton top. I used to have real light blonde hair. Now I don't have any. <clears throat> but... I, when I was a kid, I had a cotton top, and I was the only one in our family that did. 
You know, my brother had dark hair, my sister had dark hair, mom and dad had dark hair, you know, and I'm an analytical thinker. And so when I was little, I'm thinking, I wonder if I'm adopted. Because I'm not weird like my brother and sister and all. No. Because I didn't look like them. You know, I look at the pictures and here I am, the weirdo of the family. Still am. The weirdo of the family that doesn't look like anybody. And so the devil sowed a seed of doubt in my mind going, is that really my mom and dad? Or, you know, or I'm just a bum that, that you know, they found in a curb somewhere and picked me up and adopted me or whatever. And you know, when I settled that, the more that I matured and the more that I grew up, the more that I, I'm so much like my daddy and, and I could see his, his genetics in me. We think alike. We, 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 we act alike. We have everything is alike. And I'm absolutely 100% sure that Randy Reeves is my daddy. And I also got a birth certificate to prove that. Uh, but, but the point is, as, as, as born-again believers, you, that's why it's important that you continue to grow and you mature so that you, that you come to the knowledge of that He is my Father. How do I know that? Because the more that we mature spiritually, the more you should see the characteristics of Jesus in your life. If you don't ever see the characteristics of Jesus in your life where you say, I know he's my daddy because I have his love and I have his nature and I have different things that the fruits of the spirit that the Bible talks about. I have love and joy and peace and faith and hope and, and all of the things and my desire is to be pleasing to my, to my father. And so therefore, the more that I mature, the more that I become secure. Second thing is chapter six, and this is where we're going to get into eternal security, verse one through six. Because here's what's going on in Hebrews. They were just kind of staying in one place. They wasn't growing. They wasn't serving. They were always questioning. And they were staying right in the birthing room of their, of their salvation. And verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from works, or a dead works and faith towards God, the doctrine of baptism, laying on our hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so what he's saying is, those are the foundational doctrines that you need to build. That's, that's the foundation of your Christianity. But you have to build on that. And you have to move on and to grow in your spiritual maturity. And they were just always staying right there. And some like, man, I'm not sure. Maybe I need to be saved again and saved again and saved again. And so, so the writer, I believe it was Paul, addresses this in, in verse 4. Notice what he says. It's, it's kind of a complicated scripture, but we'll get it worked out. He says, for it is impossible. I want you to... To, to put in parentheses that in your Bible. Okay, we're going to do a little English diagram this morning. For it is impossible. And then he starts to describe a believer. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They have tasted of the good word of God. And the powers of the age to come. And so he's describing a person who is truly a born again believer. What is impossible? And then he used the word if. Don't build a doctrine on the word if because he's, he's, giving, he's speaking to you in a, in a certain type of language. If they fall away. Because what, what's going on is that if we, we could fall away from the faith and we could fall. I hear it all the time. We could fall from grace and we can fall from the faith. I got some bad news for you if you believe that this morning. If they fall away, what is impossible? To renew them again unto repentance. Since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine who believes that he could lose his salvation. He, he brought up all these, you know, there's a lot of different scriptures that you can pull out of context in the Bible, and you say, what about this, and what about this? And that's what people who believe that, you know, have been taught that do, okay? I'm, I, I, 
I don't believe that it, just because you believe that doesn't mean that you're saved. It means you're living in bondage and in, in ignorance of God's word. You don't have the peace of God in your life. Okay? You can be saved and believe a false truth and it doesn't change your salvation. Okay, But if you believe that, think about this. And I asked him, I said, so, so right here, that right there says, if you fall away, if you were once saved... And then you fall away, you lose your salvation according to what is written. Not what I feel, but what is written right there says, it would be impossible to renew you again to repentance. And I said, so would you agree that if you can lose your salvation, you can never get it back? Isn't that what that says? He said, that, that, that's what it seems like. I said, no, no, no. Let's agree. Does it say that? Well, it says that. I said, have you ever lost your salvation? I feel like I have. I said, then you better have a good time here because you're on your way to hell, buddy. You don't have no hope. You say, how is that possible? Now, notice what it says, because some people don't understand what salvation was, what Jesus has done for you. It says, seeing that they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, understand, you can't bring Catholicism into the doctrine of salvation because here's here's what it is based upon when you believe that you believe that you can lose your salvation that at one point in time you came to Jesus that you humbled yourself that you asked him to forgive you of your sins and to save your soul okay and and some people believe well your past sins are forgiven and now you know he you're saved by his blood he sprinkles some blood on you and your sins are washed away but you have to keep it you have to have a peg on the ark so what do you mean by that you know when Noah went into the ark The door was open. God told him to get into the ark. He walked into the ark and God shut the door. It was sealed. The pitch on the ark represents the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Like it talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. It says that once, listen to this. Listen to what the word says. That once that you believed the word, the gospel that was preached unto you. That you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Which seals you until the redemption of the purchased possession. Okay? That means at the point in time that you entered into the ark of God's salvation, you were sealed. When you believed the gospel, that moment the Holy Spirit sealed you. And when did He seal you? Until you mess up, until you fall away, until you fall from grace, until you disobey. It said until the redemption of the purchase. That means you have been bought with His blood. And that you will be fully redeemed one day. Your salvation is not complete right now. Why? Because we still live in a sinful body. But there is coming a day where we will be fully redeemed. Okay, We've been purchased. Our our soul, our spirit has been bought by the blood of Jesus. And one day they're going to put me in the ground. And I'm going to I'm going to lay there for however long until the Lord comes back. My soul and spirit will be with the Lord at that time. But there's coming a day like it talks about in first Thessalonians chapter four, where the Lord himself will descend with a shout, with a voice of an archangel. And those who are who are dead in Christ, that means those who die as believers before Christ returns, they will be raised from the grave and we will receive a brand new, redeemed, fully whole, righteous body, just like Adam had prior to the fall that Christ in the Bible says we do not know what he is like talking about Jesus but we do know that we will be like him okay and so I have the security actually if you want to study that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 the word that he uses for Holy Spirit there is the same Greek word where we got our word derived from as an engagement ring when God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit okay it is an engagement ring to go you are mine until we are fully redeemed does that make Makes sense. Now, so so here's the problem that you get when you when you look at 
salvation. If you say, well, I'm forgiven for my past sins. Okay, I've covered this with y'all several times, so please don't get bored, but stay with me. When a person is lost, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. One, how many sins did it take for Adam to, to fall? One. He sinned one. He, he disobeyed God one time. Boom. He was dead. He died that day spiritually. Separated from God. Unrighteous. He stood in the condemnation of the Lord. He was going to die and go to hell at that very moment. One sin is all it took because he disobeyed God. Now, when Jesus came, Jesus fully represented all of mankind. The Bible says that he represented you. I, let's turn there because I want to I get this point across. Because I talk about this with people so much. Isaiah chapter 53. Look in Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 53. Old Testament prophet is speaking of the work of Jesus on the cross here. And, and listen to me. You take this and you study it for yourself. If you have any questions, you get back with me and we'll study it together. I'm not trying to prove my point. I just want you to get God's word and see his point so that you can be secure. But so many people go by their feelings. And I've talked to people who believe they can lose their salvation. And I've said, so tell me, what does it take to lose it? I mean, is it is it ten sins, one sin? How can I know? There's, there's got to be a, there, the Bible is a plumb line. It's a straight line. So it's not, well, I'm kind of just right there in the middle. You know, God hadn't made up his mind whether he wants to keep me saved or not. No, 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 wait a second. There has to be a point in order for me, like it says in First John, that I might know that I have eternal life. There has to be a point where I go, I don't, and I do. You understand? So what is that line? Is it one sin? Because with Adam, it was one sin. That means if my past sins are forgiven... And I'm saved just from my past sin, okay, from my transgression. That means now, from the point in time that I'm saved, if I have one bad thought, if I say one bad word, if I look at one bad thing, if I lie one time, if I cheat, if I steal, if I do any of those things, one time, one sin is all it takes. And some people believe that. Well, you have to ask for forgiveness. Now, now, this is where we're going to get good. And if you don't, and then I ask the question, so if you don't ask forgiveness for every sin, what about the sin you don't even know? Because what we want to do is we go, well, today I'm going to do an evaluation at the end of the day, ask God to forgive me all my sin. You know, Lord, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm going, what about what you didn't do? What about the people that Christ brought in your pathway and that you didn't share the gospel with them when you know you should? What about the, what about the poor that you didn't help that the Bible speaks clearly of if you ignore the poor that it's just as much sin as adultery or killing or murder? You know, all these different things you have to ask. So then you have to go, I'm really not sure about all of that. So I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. So let's just throw a blanket prayer out there. You know, God forgive me for what I did do, what I didn't do, and I'm good to go. So your whole hope and your whole basis of your relationship to God is not based upon the finished work of Christ. It is based upon you continually asking for forgiveness of your sin, which is Catholicism. Now, does the Bible teach that? If it does, we better all get to ask him for forgiveness. But let's see what it says. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, talking about Jesus here. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That means we rejected him. Now notice what it says in verse 5. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions, our sins, our breaking of the law. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now, now get this. When you look at that scripture right there, I would ask you the question, what sin did Jesus take to the cross when he died for your sin? What sin did he bear? What iniquity and transgression of mine and yours did he go to the cross and carry there? All of them. Every single one. All sin in order for you to be forgiven had to be paid for. And at the cross, all of our sin was future. Okay? And so think about this. When Jesus died, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, Therefore I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Okay? So, so if you look at that, Paul saying, When I... When Jesus was crucified, all of your sin was placed upon him. You were co-crucified. When God saw his son on the cross, according to Isaiah chapter 53, he saw my sin. What sin? All of my sin. And God poured out wrath for all of my sin on his son. And you've heard me say it before, and I love to say it. When Jesus went to the cross, he, as the mediator of the new covenant, it talks about in Hebrews, stood between me as a sinner and the Father. And he said, whatever he's got coming for all of his sin, you pour it on me. And the Father loved me and you enough to go, I'm going to punish my son for your sin now. If all of your sin was punished, right there, every bit, every bit of your sin was punished, nothing left unpunished, where was it punished? One time, at Calvary's cross, it was paid for 100% in full by what Jesus has done. We all agree on that. Now, look in verse 11. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 11. Notice what it says. In verse 10, let's look at verse 10. It said, yet it pleased the Lord... Talking about the Father to bruise Him. It pleased the Father to bruise Jesus. Do you get that? Let that sink in. It wasn't like God was going, man, I can't believe you sinners making me punish my son. He said, I am pleased to punish my son to save you sinners. That's crazy love is what that is. It's not like God was going, I'm so angry at y'all because I'm having to do that. He didn't have to do it. Prior to us ever being created, God knew that we would choose willingly to sin and to reject Him. And all of this mess would come about. And before we even came about, He made a plan to go, Now, we need to decide what needs to be done in order that we can save these people who will reject us and sin and blaspheme and everything that they're going to do. I love them as sinners, for God so loved the world. I love them enough that I will satisfy my justice through the punishment of my innocent righteous son so that justice will be served and I can offer them mercy and grace free. So when you look at verse 10, it said, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. This is talking about the resurrection right here. You shall see his seed and prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And notice what he says in verse 11. He shall see the the labor or the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And I know I'm repeating myself over the last few weeks. But when God saw the travail, the torment of Jesus' soul, the punishment he took for your sin. Get this. Calvary was God's courtroom. 
It's where justice had to be served because God doesn't just overlook sin and, and, and forget sin and God punishes sin and God punishes sin with death. That's why people die and go to hell because the punishment of their sin and they have rejected the offer that God made them through Jesus. So when Jesus was on the cross, he was put through the torment and the punishment for our sin. And that right there, not me, but that right there says that God looked upon it and he said, I'm satisfied. Nothing else has to be done. Totally, 100%. What about justice? Justice was served through Jesus, not through you or me or anything that we have to... It's not about what we have to offer God. It's what God says. Now, a way has been made. And that's what makes a grace so amazing because Jesus gets so excited to be like, Now, I paid for it. Isn't that what He told the disciples? Fear not. I made a way that you can be saved, that your sins are taken care of, and you can be my children, and I have a kingdom prepared for you, and you're going to rule, and you're going to reign with me. And He offers that grace out there as a hope for us to latch a hold to as an anchor for our soul now so so here's the thing flip back in um galatians i'm not galatians hebrews i'm sorry so if all of your sin was paid for you were co-crucified with christ it also says in ephesians chapter one also says in in romans chapter six Romans chapter 6 says, we are baptized in His death. It's not talking about water baptism there, okay? It's talking about spiritual baptism where we identified with Christ in His death. Hebrews chapter 9 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Christ represented my death for my sin, okay? And now that I have been crucified with Christ, buried with ba- in baptism with Christ, then it also says, therefore you have been raised to a new life. That means that the moment that I trusted in Jesus, I was born spiritually, born again, made alive. How? In Christ Jesus because of what He has done. Now when God sees me, it says it about 13 or 14 times there in Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, in Christ. You are not what you are in your relationship to God because you are in church. Or that you are in, you know, some kind of special walk that you think you're finding favor from God. Or because you are in faithfulness. You are what you are because you are in Christ Jesus. Okay? And this will get better as we go next week. And so, so there's, here let's answer the problem. It says, what's impossible in verse 6? 4 through 6? To renew you again under penance. Why? Seeing they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. It means, let's say, I, if I hypothetically, I could lose my salvation. I'm, I'm born again. I'm a believer. The blood of Jesus. When the Bible talks about the blood of Jesus, it's not talking about the blood, sprinkle of blood on you. It's talking about His death. Through the death of Jesus, now I'm saved. His blood was shed, representing the wrath of God from my sin. And through His blood, now I'm saved and I'm born again as a believer. Okay? Now, what sin, this is going to be difficult for some of you, what sin was forgiven when I came to God and said, I trust in Jesus as my Savior, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. What sin was forgiven? He died for all of them, and that means now all of my sin, This can, some of you don't like this because you want to feel guilty and con- condemned, all of my sin, past, present, future, God wiped away and said, you're forgiven. And now you have a righteous, you have the righteousness of God in Christ. Now listen to me, because some of you thinkers are thinking right now, that means I can go out and live however I want to? Just a second, I'm going to answer that. Because in order, if I could lose my salvation, 
You know, I'm driving down the road, somebody swerves in front of me, somebody runs up on my bumper, boom, I just had a, a thought of pulling over and beating somebody to death, okay? Y'all never do that? Or, or I holler at them, or I say some foul language, or whatever it is, whatever thoughts you want to have, you swerve at them, right in, okay? I just lost my salvation. How am I going to get it back? Number one, it's impossible, but how am I going to get it back? The only way is if Christ comes and dies again to represent that sin on the cross. Because I've already applied his death and it's appointed a man who wants to die. And so now, think about this. The only way, I, I don't know how you can lose your salvation, you know, you can work that out. But what the Bible teaches is that once you are truly saved, that you are sealed and that you are secure. Now, I'm going I'm to finish up with this right here. Look in verse 7. You know, here's the problem that some people have. And I know Baptists believe that. And, and, <clears throat> and here's the problem that some people do. They human reason and they look because they go, you, so you're telling me. You know, that I was, you know, last week I was out and I saw this person acting like this and doing this. And he goes to your church and you're telling me that he can go out and you can live however you want to. I can go out and I can, I can run around on my wife and I can go to clubs and I can live a, a life of darkness and all that. And I'm still saved? My question in return would be, if you're saved, do you want to do that? Do you see those things you're not? And I'm not saying we don't sin, okay? But here's my point. It says in verse, I think we need the acknowledgement. That's my third thing. Immaturity, ignorance, and the last one is failure to identify and acknowledge. Look at what it says in verse 7. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it. You know, in the Bible, the rain is also representing the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about drinking it in, receiving it. It bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, for the farmer. Receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. There's a lot of people, just because they say, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean that they're a Christian. I can say, I'm the president's son. Thank God I'm not. But I could say that. I'm the president's son. Does that make me a son? Nope. I can go visit him at the White House. I wouldn't, but if I did, I gotta watch it. I'm gonna lose my salvation. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, if I did, I could mow his yard. I could sit in there and eat breakfast with him. I could sit by his other kids if he's got them and, and say, you know what? I could call him Pop if I wanted to. That doesn't make me his child because I'm not born by his blood. And so think about this. There's a lot of people just because they're Baptist or just because they're whatever and they say I'm a Christian and just because they say, well, how do you know you're Christian? Because I, I walked forward and I prayed the sinner's prayer and I professed and I was baptized and I did all these things. kind of concerns me when people give you those answers. I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. Okay, so therefore that makes me a Christian. My question is, what are you bearing? Because if you look at that, it says that one receives... In response to the rain. How do you respond to God's spirit in your life? When you look at your field. What is your fruit? When you look at your heart and your life. And don't give me no feelings of emotion. I'm talking about the way you live. On a consistent basis. When you look at the field overall. If I called you over and said hey. And I'm not a farmer. Would you come over and look at my watermelon field? Now if you came over and you walked out there and I said, what do you think? And it was just a big patch of weeds. Now there's, sometimes there's weeds in watermelon fields. You ever stowed one? You know that. Right? 
And so you can go out and water. Let's be real. And you go out and watermelon field. You know, it might be weeds. You might be able to move some of the weeds out and go, oh, yeah, there's watermelon, watermelon. Hey, that's pretty good. You need to weed it. But your watermelons, you know, they look pretty good. And it would look even better and be more impressive if you would weed the field. But if you walk out there and you look and you look. And I say, oh, I'm telling you, they're there. Just keep looking. I'm a watermelon farmer. And I, there's watermelon. Even if you found one, you'd be like, this ain't no watermelon field. This is a weed patch. No, no, I promise you. I'm a watermelon farmer. I got out there and I did the things that it takes to. I did this and I did that. And there, even if nothing happens, I still, I'm a watermelon farmer. You would expect if you come to my house, if you walked out there, you'd be able to go like, hey, good looking watermelon. Let's, let's share some. Isn't that the way it should be in your life as a Christian? Sometimes our field gets weedy. Let's be real. But you ought to be able to move the weeds and go, hey, I see, I see, I see the fruit of God all in my life. I, you know, let's, let's get these weeds out of here. That's what repentance is in the life of believers. We should continually repent because we, we sin. And, and, and honestly, repentance is an evidence. It is a fruit of your salvation. It means the Holy Spirit's in you going, you need to turn away from that sin. Put the sin out of your life. Weed your field. Okay? And if you don't weed it, God will weed it. He said in Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And if you listen to me, and if you do not receive the correction of God, then you are an illegitimate child. We have people who have fields full of thorns and briars who are saying, I'm a farmer and you're not. And you have to come to the point between you and the Lord to be real and to go. That's what it means to search yourself. That's how you settle all doubt. What does the Bible say that a believer looks like? First John's a good place to start if you want to know. It says this, it says that. Anytime I've doubted my salvation, I'll look at the scripture and go, the scripture says, I'll have this and I'll have that. And my heart will respond to God in these ways. Man, I'm saved as I can be. Because I have those things. And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. And that's what I mean by acknowledgement. Only God can do that. Sinners don't love righteousness. Sinners don't love God's word. Sinners don't love Jesus. Sinners don't want to reach other other sinners, you know, who uh, and tell them about the gospel. Only the Holy Spirit in you. And so, when you see God in your life, you ought to keep a little God move this week book. I saw God do this, and I saw God do that, and I saw God do this in my life. God has changed me. Man, I've talked to some people that really, you know, an analytical thinker seemed to wrestle with it a little more. Who were like, Pastor, I'm not really sure in this. And I say, well, tell me, do you, do you love God's Word? I do. Do you, do you love God's people and the fellowship of God's people? I do. Do you desire to do right? Do you want to do right? I do. What do you do when you sin? I tell the Lord, I'm sorry. Why? If you're a sinner and, you're, and you don't care, the Bible says the carnal mind cannot be subjected to the Word of God, neither is it. So how is it that you're doing these things? I don't know. It's called the Holy Spirit. And if He's in you, you're His. Let's acknowledge that. Okay, God, thank you that I am saved and that your word is true and that you are in me. And now I can move forward and mature as a believer and find the purpose that you have for my life. But listen to me. If you're always out there digging around in your life going, surely there's a watermelon here somewhere. Maybe you need to be honest and go, God, if I was being totally honest to you, because I had to do this. Man, when I was 12, I claimed to be a farmer. And there was, there was nothing in my, in my field. It was full of briars and thorns and everything else. All those things that I was telling you, those desires was not in my heart. I just didn't want to go to hell for the sin that I love to be involved in. When I was 19, I honestly, before the Lord, evaluated my life and I went, I don't have this. 
And according to the word, if I don't have that, Lord, I don't have you. And when I come to that place to where it wasn't just about a hell and a heaven thing, but it was, I need, God, I need to deal with my sin. And I believe the gospel. How is any person saved? It's not by, okay, I better stop and I better start and I better quit and I better this. None of that saves a person. What saves a person is that the Holy Spirit shows you that. You don't, you can't look at your life and go, come on. The Holy Spirit is the one who's drawing you. And He's saying, I want to save you. I'm not trying to cause doubt. I'm pointing you to trust in Jesus. And at the moment that you come to a place, you go, God, it's not about me or what I have to offer. I want to receive your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and the salvation that was given to me through what Jesus has done. I trust in Christ and Christ alone. God, I believe the gospel. That is my question for you this morning. Do you believe the gospel? Because if I was to say, how do you know that you're saved? Don't tell me I did this and I did that. What did Jesus do? My hope is not on what I did. My hope is in, how do you know, Brother Randall, that you're saved and going to heaven? I believe with all my heart, I would be willing to die for it. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He came as God in the flesh. Lived a perfect, righteous, holy, sinless, blameless life. Loved and represented me. Carried my sins to the cross. Took the punishment for my sins 100% in full. Was buried in a grave. Three days dead. And on the third day, he rose again. I believe that with everything in me. And that is what my anchor is drove deep into. And if I stood before God today and he asked me, why should I let you in? I would probably say, you shouldn't. But my hope is in what Jesus has done for me, not in anything that I've done for you. And by that, by God's grace, I 100% know that I have eternal life. And that life is not based upon how I live. God leads me and changes me and molds me and gives me a new heart that causes me... Well, I don't want to go out and live foolishly and sinfully and darkfully. If you have that, if you say, I'm a believer, but I just I want an excuse to go out and live like the devil... Then something ain't right. I'm just being honest with you. You need to check your field. So I'm going to have to stop there for time's sake. And I asked each one of you this morning. Two different, two different things. If you got a weedy field, won't you be honest? You should be honest with God. I ain't asking you to come up here and tell everybody. Because that don't save you. I'm asking you this morning before you and the Lord to settle in your heart. Do you believe and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ to save your soul? But, but listen to me. As a believer... A lot of people who are always struggling and doubting and wondering and all that kind of stuff. Can you look at your life and go, I know that God has changed me. Man, I can look back from the time and I know, listen to me, I'm going to sin and I'm going to fall until the day they kick dirt in my face. You're never going to be perfect in this body. And I'm not giving you a license to sin, but I'm just saying... If you go, I don't see how I could be saved because I had a bad thought and I lost my temper and I did this. Okay, My question is, can you look and go, but God has changed me. He has radically changed me. Then I would say, then what do we do with the scripture where the Bible says, can a leopard change his spots? Can you change yourself? Can you make yourself righteous? The Bible says in Proverbs, who can say I have cleansed myself of my sin? Nobody can. 
And you have one hope, and that's trusting in Jesus. And listen to me. If you look at your heart and say, Brother Randall, I am saved. I am a born-again believer. Then you are sealed, whether you like it or not. You have a Father who loves you enough to correct you and to draw you. And you need to start trusting in God's sufficiency and the grace that is offered to you in Christ Jesus. And start walking with the Lord and quit listening to the guilt and the doubt and the shame and the condemnation that the devil is trying to stop you from becoming the person that God has created you to be and start trusting in the blood of Jesus which cleanses you from all of your sin. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just bow before you today and I thank you so much for the blood of Jesus. Father, Just I thank you Lord that we can have the absolute assurance of eternal life. Lord, your word says that you entered into the presence of God on our behalf and that you stand there every day, 24-7. Your word also says that we who believe are in Christ, we're already there. Not because of what we do, but because of what you've done. Lord, I pray for somebody here today that hasn't trusted in that, hasn't trusted in the gospel, Lord, that they would repent And believe and trust in you today. God to receive grace and the forgiveness of sin. God is your people that we would get into your word. So that when Satan comes along to sow that doubt in our mind. God that that our faith is not in an emotion or an experience. But it's in a promise that you a God who cannot and will not lie. Made to us that if we would believe on Jesus. That you would save us and that you would deliver us. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Mm -hmm.